We are the tellers of stories, you and I. It is our hands that paint the paths that heroines and heroes tread. Our words that spell their doom. This is the canvas we pull our brush across, and these are the worlds we weave. Fellow weavers, welcome. I'm Andy, your host, and if you are new to our little world-building experiment, here's how it works. At the end of each episode, we provide the spark of an idea to ignite your imagination. If you so desire, you expand on that spark, adding a little depth, a little color, a little flavor, and send it in. If we choose to talk about it on the next episode, it goes into one of our genre vaults and helps weave the world of that genre. On this episode, I have my Tumble Dye partners, Kevin and Kylan, joining me as well as a special guest whose voice you may be familiar with. Unfortunately, there are some technical issues that I'm hoping to overcome for future episodes, particularly my audio and my housemate in the background having another online meeting just outside my door. Baby steps, Andy. Baby steps. We shall overcome. Also, I neglected to add the sounds of the vault's opening to commit the listener submissions to their safekeeping. They will be back in one form or another in the future. Finally, you will find the new spark for our next episode at the end of this one, after the conversation. This episode's spark was a holiday, and it did not disappoint. Let's have a listen. Welcome, gentlemen. Andy, thanks for having us. Yes, good to be back. Yeah, it's great to be on. It's great to have the three of you here. Now, I've introduced Kylan and Kevin, my partners in crime, but uh, I haven't introduced John. John, why don't you tell me where you're coming from? Uh, so, uh, my name is John, and I run the uh, Tale of the Manticore, a uh, hybrid uh, mashup between uh, an actual play and a dark fantasy novel. And if you like classic D&D, uh, come and check it out. Honestly, what it is, is a damn fine listen. <laughs> Every time. thank you very much thank you very much we are going to talk about some submissions into the worlds we weave concerning a holiday Mm -hmm. and we finally have some um, something to put in the sci-fi vault and um, we have one from kylan which is i'm assuming it's fantasy but the, the way you wrote it it could go in several different directions Yeah, so I did have uh, a sort of medieval fantasy in mind when I wrote it, but you're right, it is pretty, it's pretty open. I I think it would actually work pretty well in like a, one of those post-apocalyptic or post-post-apocalyptic, you know, Numenera style fantasies, I think it would work well there. Yeah, Numenera is exactly the, the thought I had when I was reading it. Yeah, the sort of dying earth genre. Yeah, why don't you go ahead and give that a read, and we'll uh, we'll talk about it. I would be happy to. My submission is called Illumination Day. 341 years ago, on the longest day of the year, the beacon of truth was lit by the keepers of the light, marking the founding of the free Illuminate, the greatest nation ever known to history. A bastion of knowledge, a protectorate of truth, faith, and understanding, the free Illuminate grew from that place. At the base of the great tower that held aloft the silvery light of truth itself, a free and open society gathered itself, turning away no one and rejecting only falsehood. No one could speak an untruth in the light of the beacon which burned forever thanks to the book of everlasting truth taken from the great golden library in the far south. 
As the free illuminate grew and grew, collecting more minds and more thoughts to its beacon, there was soon demand for another beacon to be erected at a site some distance from truth. And so, on an illumination day some thirty-nine years later, the beacon of justice was lit, and the justiciaries were forged in the light of fair but uncompromising justice for the people of the free illuminate. Over the centuries, more beacons have been lit, powered by the Golden Library's books of virtue. The beacon of liberty upon the vast plains of the east, the beacon of compassion on the shores of the Ivory Sea, the beacon of valor at the edge of frozen Firenze, and the beacon of humility in the deep valley of the Titan's Cradle. Two virtues yet remain, reason and sacrifice. Where will those beacons be lit? No one yet knows, but every citizen of the Illuminate looks forward to celebrating the light of another beacon adding to the world. On each Illumination Day, all citizens of the Free Illuminate take a day of respite from their labors, look to their nearest beacon, and contemplate the virtues. Some mark the last step of a vast pilgrimage to each of the lit beacons by making their last ascent on an Illumination Day. Consider your every action in the light of the virtues, friend, and may this Illumination Day bring you ever closer to the light of true understanding. Excellent. There's so much that I like about this. Where do we even start? <laughs> I feel like having all of these virtues opens itself up to um, like chapters in a book or, you know, arcs in a story. That's that's something I like about this is that it it offers some like structure to uh, to build a story around like right off the bat. I think that's really cool. This could be a great outline for a, a whole novel um, or a series of novels. A series, yeah. It feels like a series. I mean, it's it's really you, you could build an entire setting based just on this, on this spark. Mm-hmm. It's it's you've created oh, absolutely, yeah. a philosophy, you've created a culture, you've created these these sort of you know formative structural societal thing constructs, and then you've got branches for the future, right? You've got you've got thing questions unanswered, the the remaining virtues that can can be developed and uh, explored. You know, it's, 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 yeah, it's really cool to, to wonder where, which way it's going to go. I was thinking about fantasy as I was writing this, um, for a number of reasons. And as, as I was considering, you know, what sort of, what sort of culture might have this day, I thought, well, you know, every, every fantasy novel is full of, of kings and, monarchs and and feudalism and what if my fantasy doesn't look anything like that yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) and so here we are (laughs) so so what kind of a like you know if you were to think of a a a type of culture type of society or you know governmental structure or something like that what do you feel this might be like like a tribal kind of thing or or uh what's what's the one from monty python the um an anarchic commune yeah, yeah, yeah i mean commune, yes. anarchic commune <laughs> <laughs> i mean honestly <laughs> sort of um because the the as i've been thinking about this more like this this society has an objective measure of these things because because you can't lie in the in the beacon of truth, you have a way to be certain of someone's intentions, meaning that you don't have to rely on your own intuition for these things. So it doesn't require the same level of authority that a, that another society might, but I haven't figured out quite how it works yet. 
I don't know why when I first read this, I was thinking sci-fi, really for no reason, because now hearing you read it and reading it again, it is much more fantasy. But you remember StarCraft? And there's that race of like very sort of extremely ordered, what do they call them? Pro- prote- oh, the Protoss. Thank you. That Protoss. Yeah. So this made me think of the Protoss. Sure. I thought, yeah, that makes sense. They, they would organize themselves this way. I'm super dating Absolutely. myself, but I'm, I guess I'm also dating you. <laughs> I'm I'm right there with you. So <laughs> the, the Protoss, yeah, that's what that's what this made me think of. Is like this kind of uh, civilization that has like achieved so much that they can now focus on these higher qualities. Does that does that make sense? They're not just trying to survive, right? It is no surprise that when I played StarCraft, I was 100% a Protoss player. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's something that jumped out at me. Uh, the the one thing that I thought I found very interesting is that you've you've sort of got two cultures here. Actually, the uh, what is it? There's the there's the beacon of truth, right? And then there's the um, the other one of justice. Yeah, they're 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 distantly separate, right? They are. Yes, so there is some said, distance between them. Right, right. So you're sort of you're going to have a different culture around each one because right. one one group of people are held to truth and the other group is held to justice. Right. So one group is held to truth, but not necessarily justice. The other is held to justice, but not necessarily truth. And it sort of made me think of Vulcans and Romulans. Sure. To, to go yeah. Deep, yeah. Deep yeah. That's that, really cool. That. It's not a perfect analogy, but you know. It's funny because I was I was thinking about that specifically as uh, as I was developing the idea in my head during a walk later on. I was thinking that these these justiciers who are created because of the the justice beacon but i had this thought like in order to be really like in order to be a, a an honored enforcer in an insi- in a society like this which is how i sort of imagine them kind of kind of jedi esque right a little bit mm-hmm. i imagine that they have to pilgrimage to all of these in order to take that pledge they have to they have to stand in the light of every single one of them and be faced with their own resolve in order to actually take that mantle on. That's how you would achieve enlightenment. Right. Exactly. By going through these uh nine is it nine? Nine steps or, or whatever it is. It's eight or nine, yeah. And I was thinking too that especially to be a, a justiciar, you would have to retake this pilgrimage every few years, right? Because a person's Oof. mind can drift over time, but so if you want to keep serving, as it were, you have to go do it again. Like you get a term, sort of, and then you can decide whether you want to do it again or not. And by the third term, they're just like, "Oh, my feet! Oh, my aching feet!" Yeah, right? Seriously, <laughs> <laughs> it takes dedication to you know. Can I, can I get an Uber to the next one, please? <laughs> What my question is, um, given that truth and justice are arguably subjective things, whose truth and justice are the beacons illuminating? Mm. Ah, the ones from the book, right? So they're created by the books. So whoever wrote those books in the Great Golden Library, they're the definitions of it. Gotcha. Wild. Which remains a mystery as far as this is described. And so if you are ever tried for a crime, it would be in the region of the beacon of truth. And then if you are sentenced to some kind of punishment, you're shipped over to the beacon of justice. Probably, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> There's like a, a, a ship that goes back and forth between the two. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, you told a lie. Put them on the boat. Guys, <laughs> we, we were talking about something a minute ago that gave me an idea that it's kind of, so we're talking about like, you have to keep doing this pilgrimage over and over and over again. And that, that got me thinking, you know, like in real medieval Europe, kings would like, they would visit all of their lords and barons, like just in a, in a big cycle. And they would bring an army with them and their, their lords and barons, they would have to put them up and at great expense. And it was to basically keep tabs on everybody and to keep them even a little bit um, economically down so that they could never overthrow the king if because the, the king is coming, the king is coming. And this feels like the flipped version of that where is if people were constantly having to, I think Japan, like feudal Japan had this too. If people had to constantly do these pilgrimages and these long journeys, they could never raise an army, form a rebellion, mm. you know, and it, it's a yep, very political kind of thing. So that that could work with this too. That's a really great, a really great concept. And then, you know, it, it, le- it gives you so many opportunities for story to spin off from that. You know, there's so many little seeds in this, like, you know, somebody, somebody rebels against that particular system or mm-hmm. the definition of truth is challenged. Yeah, for sure. So, so many, so many cool ways you could go down this. I, I have a feeling we're going to come back to this one at some point in future episodes. That was good, good foreshadowing there, Andy, though. I like that. <laughs> So the next one comes from Gabe, and this is uh, this is definitely sci-fi. It's called the Interplanetary Potluck, an interplanetary potluck where everyone, if possible, comes to cook each other delicacies from their home world. You must clearly state if you have used any of the fourteen major allergens, such as soy, plastic, and cyanide. Acts of war are strictly forbidden during the. Arachian week-long celebration, and guests may come and go as they please. Nobody knows how every planet in the known galaxy had many easily accessible portals built on them, nor who built the mechanical beings, the Orax, who hosted the event. They had just always been there. But everyone looked forward to the time, more or less every year, depending on your planet size, when the portal opened and they could step through. Perhaps they would feel differently if they knew that the Orax could see the future, a future this holiday attempts to prevent from ever happening. All I can think of um, is, it's a cookbook! <laughs> what is that? That sounds familiar. The Twilight Zone, yeah. <laughs> to serve man. Oh, okay. The title says it all. One of the best episodes. Just there's that line at the end. It's total spoiler. I apologize to anybody who feels like they're I'm spoiling something that's it's like what fifty years old at this it's, point. It's Come it's on, about now. fifty years old. I think the statute of limitations has expired. Oh my god! How do I not? How do I not know this? <laughs> Does that mean it's that this whole world exists in a cookbook? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, inter interplanetary potluck. I love this. And one thing that I, I know it's sci-fi. But I, I see this being, again, this is another one that could fit other genres. Mm-hmm, for sure. So, I mean, portals are, are both sci-fi and fantasy. It's, they're me- mechanical beings, but still. Yeah, but those could be uh, constructs. I mean, Warforged are a thing. So. Right, if anybody is an Eberron fan. So, speculation. What, uh, what future are they trying to prevent? Well, creating an interplanetary potluck, having participated in and coordinated one or two potlucks, it would seem to me that the Oracs are trying to prevent uh, galactic peace, because if you've ever tried to coordinate a <laughs> coordinate a potluck, <laughs> it 
it is essentially a war zone. <laughs> so <laughs> now that's mostly a joke. That's awesome. It it feels like the author's intent may have been that this is uh, a sort of intergalactic or intragalactic, you know, relationship building, Diplom- diplomacy, right? It's trying, it's, trying it's to keep everybody- Speed dating. Yeah, speed dating. So that everybody knows each other so that they're less likely to kill each other. What if it, it you know, over, over millennia, it morphed it? Like it used to be sort of this grandiose, you know, formal celebration. You must come, you must offer sacrifice, you must do, you know, or, or something like that, some kind of a very formal or even terrifying thing. And then- People kept doing it, and you know, perhaps the the creatures who <laughs> built the Orax died off, and this thing just keeps going, and now it's just a part. Now it's a party. It's just decayed to a potluck, <laughs> right? And the Orax just keep doing their thing. The Orax just got tired of cooking uh, the, for themselves, and I see what you're saying. The Orax are the most highly evolved species in this universe. Where they one day they realized we don't have to make food. We can just ask other people to bring it. We've got all these portals just lying around, not being used. Why don't we hook them up to some other systems, uh, send out some invitations, and you know, uh, bingo, we got free food now, and, um, and that's forever. And it's also a demonstration that mooching is actually a trait of a highly evolved individual. They saw a broadcast from Earth of Yogi the Bear, and they said we can. <laughs> We can build we can a civilization this. around that. Yeah, <laughs> we can do this. <laughs> that was my next question: Is um, Earth? Are, are we just? We're too dumb to join the potluck because we're too stupid to find the portals on our planet. And, and that's that's how the adventure begins, right? Some Earthling finds a portal. Hey, where does this go? And then that's well, I didn't expect that. Is what right. they say when they get to the other side. <laughs> right. This is very much a Douglas Adams slash Doctor Who kind of thinking thing. This feels kind yeah. of Hitchhiker's Guide ish. It's funny, Kev, when you were talking about the how it used to be like this grand, grandiose thing that is now like become become a potluck. That made me think of the Orax these these mechanical beings as being mute and unable to describe it. And so it's just tradition, and they can't do anything but stare on in anguish as this this grandiose ceremony that their that their creators devised has just like become a you know in the church basement <laughs> yeah. yeah do the do the orax not participate the mecha- i guess i guess well, they're, they're mechanical not... so what are they doing right they're not eating right, anything so, um, you guys saw orax and somebody else thought lorax right somebody out there and was anybody thinking dr seuss <laughs> like um if this is a dr seuss story you got to go with like what's the opposite of ultimate variety well, it's got to be ultimate boringness. And so there's got to be some history of a culture that never ate anything but oatmeal for generations and generations. And then <laughs> the future that they're trying to predict is a return to the oatmeal days. Right, right. We do, we do not want to return to the days of gruel. Mononutritive society. I think I'm going to have to start a comedy vault. We, we are the Oryx and we speak for the feasts. And their slogan is going to be "Farewell, Gruel World." <laughs> oh, God, this is great. This is great. The only thing I have to add is that I brought shepherd's pie. Did you guys didn't bring shepherd's pie too? Did you? I did, but I had to label mine with the cyanide. <laughs> All I could bring was was a half-eaten bag of week-old tortilla chips. <laughs> You're the race that the Orax roll their eyes at when you show when you show up. Yeah, I'm I'm the one 
they tried to figure out how to close down that portal, but they just couldn't. <laughs> Thank you, Gabe. That was awesome. That was very fun. Yes. The next one comes from Eric. This is Guardian Day, and you'll find some possible threads to connect between the potluck and Guardian Day. On the day in question, it had been well known that others were out there. The problem was how to cross the vast distance of space-time. When kinetic contact was made with the first of several hundred known worlds, the encounter was not pleasant. The hostile L took every care to conceal their intentions until arrival in the far corner of our solar system. Our fleet, which was sent to greet them, was far from adequate to protect against their venom. It became clear that for all of mankind's advances over the 200-plus years of deep space exploration, ours was a developed civilization that ranked low on power. The remnants of the survivors of this initial attack fled back to Earth with only the thoughts of an eventual doom of our species to accompany them. Shortly thereafter, when the L arrived outside of Mars Point 7, and poised themselves to consume the colony there, others arrived to serve as our saviors. The galaxy had more order to it than we had believed. This policing force came to be our guide and protector. The NTR gave promise to the idea that mankind may one day venture alone beyond our star system. But for now, we remain protected. They are our guardians, and on this day, we pay them homage. Thank you, NTR. Thank you, NTR. Nice. Praise the NTR. There's a lot in here. I do like this uh, this sci-fi concept where, because a lot of times, you know, you get you get this sci-fi concept where either humanity is the first ones or the only ones, or you get this sort of the the Star Trek thing where we're all roughly of equal potential, mm-hmm. and the 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 idea that there's there's this massive galactic empire out there and we're sort of zoo planet until we figure out you know inter- interstellar travel has always intrigued me yeah yeah this i mean this makes perfect sense when you you know if you think about it a little bit it's like we're you know it, it, earth it's a resource you know there are resources to be plundered so of course it's going to be a target for some enterprising you know, species or organization to come and and attack us or, or you know get our stuff. Any any uh, spacefaring species out there must have capabilities far beyond our own. So we're we're easy pickings. So how come we haven't been, you know, exploited before before now? So the idea that there is this protective force it stands to reason, and you know it also fits nicely with human mythology. Mm-hmm. Right. And it it seems that uh, for the L to make it all the way into our solar system, they must be formidable indeed for the NTR to have allowed that to occur. So uh, that kind of sets the L up to be quite a powerful um, antagonist. Right. So Earth is some kind of like, this is the front where the NTR and the L happen to um, face off. And Earth is caught in the middle. What do you guys make of L? That's just a, a present waiting to be opened, isn't it? It absolutely is. Why Why are they called the L? That is a good question. Is, is it just that the first letter of whatever they introduced themselves, like the first sound is 
that kind of sound and then the rest is gobbledygook and so that was like the only thing humanity could manage to call them <laughs> right or just unpronounceable yeah yeah it's unpronounceable but the first letter kind of sounds like oh or or maybe they're called like the laverne and earthlings were like have you seen these things they look like beetles they have mouths in their mouths we can't call them laverne it's it's not it has no gravitas <laughs> <laughs> One one fun one interesting word I loved it is in the second sentence where it says when kinetic contact was made with the first of several hmm. hundred worlds. Yeah, which means uh, there are other kinds of contact. Maybe maybe he meant as opposed to just exchanging signals, like when actual physical contact was made. Yeah, that makes sense. Or you know, psychological, emotional, you know, like uh, other other ways of of connecting of of interacting some way that hasn't been dreamt of yet and so it's called kinetic here because we haven't thought of it yet yeah maybe we come up with a uh, communication technological breakthrough that allows us to communicate faster than the speed of light and for whatever reason we call it kinetic mhm well could be it's funny cuz of course in in a sci-fi mode i often I, I first think of kinetic weaponry and so i was wondering why the our, our first contact well i mean it would generally be not pleasant if you you know dropped asteroids from orbit on someone's planet so right <laughs> kinetic yeah i mean a rail gun that's... is pretty damn kinetic that's true yeah yeah going back to douglas adams i would be would be a very hitchhiker kind of way to communicate with someone <laughs> right. i can see that being in the in the hitchhiker's guide somewhere yeah, definitely, definitely. We were just trying to say hello, and it's not our fault they weren't prepared for this. Exactly. It was rich. It was rich in ore. You know, incredibly dense ore. I don't understand right. why they weren't grateful. Yeah. <laughs> it's not our fault they couldn't catch it. <laughs> <laughs> I was also interested in uh, uh, where is it? Mars point seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. does that mean there yeah. there are several points on Mars and possibly? Uh, other settlements throughout the solar system kind of um the expanse sort of idea there there's a a orbital term that's called a lagrange point right that sounds familiar so there there is but i'm not sure it applies it's just uh, the point where two gravitational bodies cancel each other out it is a thing, but I'm not quite sure how it applies, so it's probably just my brain going crazy. Oh, I see, I see. Is is that kind of what keeps a binary star together? Yeah, exactly. And and the sun and the or, and and you know Earth and the moon, right. for example, right? right. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is col- these colonies are on moons. So the hostile L comes, taking every care to conceal their intentions. It doesn't feel so originally my idea where this was kind of like a where two great forces meet. And Earth is caught in the middle. Maybe that's not. Maybe that's not right. If they're um, taking every care to conceal their intentions, it's more of a Trojan horse kind of situation, isn't it? Yeah, and so maybe that's what we're talking about about kinetic contact, right? So if they took care to conceal their intentions, but our first encounter was not pleasant, that means we were talking to them before that, mm-hmm. right? Earth was speaking with them. So the first time Earth makes contact with a known world kinetically as in they're here we're here it was not good so we were talking to them and they the the l were buttering up earth's politicians not like that's hard 
and, you know, making sure that they were playing everything all cool until they showed up and then they started wrecking the place. Right. So so that's how they made it past the Guardians is we probably invited them into our system. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So then the remnants, uh, again, at the end of the paragraph there, the remnants of the survivors of this initial attack fled back to Earth with only the thoughts of an eventual doom of our species to accompany them. So, like, you know, they went out, and then they're like, yeah, there be monsters. There be, there be dragons out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, we, we brought the flagship and all our best technology, and they just cut it apart like a hot knife through butter. Right. But they, it sounds like they never actually attacked Earth. They didn't get a chance. They, so they took out the fleet at the edge of the system, and then they, like, arrived outside of Mars Point Seven. They they just cruise through the solar system up to Mars and get ready to wipe that place out. So they're they're like systematically destroying colonies in the solar system. And then the Guardians show up. Probably having let it played out a little bit to teach somebody a lesson. <laughs> Don't trust everyone you talk to who comes bearing uh, pleasant uh beam conversations. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see this a little bit as like the the Earth is like a wildlife preserve. Yeah. And okay. The NTR are 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 rangers. You know, they're like park rangers, right. and they're and they're and they, you know they're like oh geez that you know the poachers are trying to get in again. Yeah, exactly. And they've invited them, so we can't do anything until it turns hostile. You know. Um, do you all feel like the NTR are truly? Um, altruistic or do they do they also have an agenda like if we head in one kind of technological direction or if we step out of line in one way or another do you think they're gonna either abandon us or try and restrict us or or force us in a different direction gosh can i press the protoss button again i feel that these guys are like the they're the universal (laughs) order keepers they're 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 like the balance maintainers um that's how that's how it comes across to me they're kind of above uh superior um and are able to flex enough muscle that they can control the balance here this says guide and protector too which and i don't know whether it's just me but that sounded a little more ominous than perhaps um was intended you know guide and protector could mean here's precisely what you need to do follow these instructions implicitly you know explicitly because we're here to take care of you Right. Well, it is it is a policing force, right? Which right. means inherently there are rules to be followed. So depending on what those rules are, at some point, humans being humans, we're probably going to push that envelope. And it's pretty cool that I like the idea of like humans are, they need help and then bam, help arrives. And, but maybe the help is a, like a new kind of problem. And you could see like humanity being split over whether we should accept or resist the um, NTR uh, involvement. There's probably a big like rebellion, you know, underground network of people who are working to evict the aliens off the planet because that be what humans do, regardless of what's better for humanity. Right. Like it doesn't matter whether they're good or evil. There is absolutely a rebellion. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. One way or the other, we're going to rebel against it. Yeah. But this is reminiscent to me of Babylon Five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, the whole the whole thing with the the shadow, uh, the, the Vorlons, the, the Vorlons, and yeah, you know, being caretakers essentially, or the the old ones, right? The the old the old species, and and feeling like they knew what was best, right, for the infantile humans. So yeah, I can I can see this leading to something like that. Absolutely. And then the question is the L. 
how malicious were the L really? Right. Talked about Venom. Yeah, I wasn't sure whether Venom was literal or not. Because mm-hmm. our fleet, which was sent to greet them, was far from adequate to protect against their Venom. This could describe a fleet of space bugs that are literally venomous. They could. Or it could be figurative and just mean they're really mean. Or full-on starship troopers. Right, exactly. This is a near-future sci-fi, though, isn't it? I mean, it's only a few hundred years into space travel. I mean, a hundred years is not that much. This is not a vastly different world than than we live in now. I mean, it is, but it isn't. It isn't a quantum, ch- you know, change. Yeah, we probably haven't evolved into different human species at this point. Yeah, it's. It's probably not lasers and stuff. You know, maybe maybe Starship Trooper is not a bad comparison because they're still kind of lowish tech. Is that fair? I don't know. They're still using machine guns and stuff anyway. Yeah. I was thinking about Mass Effect because they, that's a similar situation, right? Where humanity is a young species and in a, a massive galactic alliance and they're the, the newcomers, the upstarts. The, it's only a couple hundred years because of the discovery of Element Zero. And that's the advancement that makes that puts humanity out to the stars, which it feels like there's something similar here. That's right. And you know what? There's nothing that says NTR has to be one race, one people, one thing. It could be a collective. That's absolutely. That's right. Yeah. The NTR could be the name, the name of the Galactic Alliance. The NTR are here to save us. For themselves. <laughs> oh, my God. You're saying that humanity is the potluck that they're going to bring to, oh, <laughs> to the potluck. Oh my god. I was waiting for someone to connect the thread, sir. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dark. And the really the really dark thing is that everyone but everyone brought humans. Right. <laughs> you brought humans too? Damn. Oh man. Damn. Did anyone bring dessert? Oh, man. All right, just put them over there next to the other humans, I guess. Amazing. <laughs> All right, I think we've uh we've done a good job with these. I want to Thank you all for uh, joining me today and uh, talking about these wonderful little sparks. Hey, thanks for having us. And John, we are so pleased to have you on Threat Dice. So thank you for coming. We appreciate it. Oh, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. I'm a big fan of what you guys do. And uh, uh, I hope that the people that submitted these are um, are happy with um, with what we've done with them, with the terrible, terrible <laughs> things we've done, we've to, them, done yes. to them. Yeah, we and we are we are very, very grateful to Eric and Gabe and 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 you know Kylan obviously too, and and they, the 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 brave individuals who share their creativity with us. Hopefully, we are encouraging people to do more of that. Thank you for listening, and thanks again to John from Tale of the Manticore podcast. If you're not familiar with his show. I have his link in the show notes. Definitely take a listen. And as always, thanks to those two goofballs I make games with. If you've enjoyed the worlds we weave, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform, Podchaser, or tweet us at TumbleDye. I'll read any reviews in the announcements. We'd love to hear from you. The Worlds We Weave is a production of TumbleDye Games, LLC. Our intro music was Sons of Loki, and our outro music is Mimer's Advice, All Father's Hope, all by Vince Vept. Check out his amazing work at youtube.com slash Vince Vept. V-I-N-D-S-V-E-P-T. This episode was produced and recorded by me, Andy Fling. Oh, great. The humans found their portal. I know, right? 
You can find Threat Dice on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your spark for next episode is an heirloom. Passed down from generation to generation, or perhaps for the first time. Is it blessed? Cursed? Or is it mundane, but with an astounding history? Add your submission to the comments of our blog, or send it via email. Both are in the show notes. Thank you for listening. Now, get weaving. Is there another L name that's more ridiculous than Laverne? Lothar. Lothar. Of the Hill People? Of the Hill People, yes. <laughs> oh, that's going to be in oh, my head now. I, I See, I went to Voltron, so there you go. <laughs>